All right, and we're back on another Access Vikings podcast with Ben Gessling and and, or, and Michael Rand. I'm Andrew Kramer. I don't know what I'm doing. That was great, uh, Andrew. We're out at TCO Performance Center, and we're talking about all the finger injuries here. The Vikings weren't even in pads yesterday, and after Irv Smith went down on Monday in the padded practice, they had Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison pop up with hand-slash-finger injuries that kept them out. So slow, easy going here, and they're still having some issues with that offense. Here we are on Access Vikings giving you the finger. Giving <laughs> <laughs> the finger updates. But the big one is Irv Smith Jr. undergoing surgery, the second surgery he's had in the past year, basically, because it was 11 months ago he had that knee operation. This one on a thumb that he had uh, an issue pop up with on Monday in the first and only padded practice they've had so far. He's going to be out through the preseason, through the rest of training camp. The Vikings, according to Kevin O'Connell, are maintaining hope that he's going to be ready for that week one opener. Ben, how big of a deal is it or is it not that they're not going to have Herb Smith in this ramp up to the regular season? Well, the injury itself shouldn't be that big of a deal. It's not one of those where you say, uh, can he come back from this? I mean, that that shouldn't be a big problem. And uh, as uh, Wes Phillips talked about yesterday, he should still be able to do plenty of conditioning that won't leave him out of shape. Now, the only I, I would have two concerns, I guess. Um, tight ends obviously spent a fair amount of time uh, putting their hands in more violent positions in terms of having to block. So I remember talking to Kyle Rudolph about that a couple of years ago when he made his uh, joyful transition from <laughs> pass catching target to blocking tight end. And, you know, he would talk about Mondays, the, the soreness was in different spots. It was wrists, elbows, that sort of thing. So you know, if you're coming back from a broken thumb and being asked to block Rashawn Gary one-on-one on some snap in week one, is that going to be a, a problem? Is that going to be something you have to worry about? I, I think that would be one question. And the other one would just be the time that he's going to spend out of the offense once again. Does he need that time to get to the point with Kirk Cousins where we have expected him to be. I mean, they've missed a lot of time working together now, both last year and really training camp. I mean, this will be basically the second training camp in a row he's missed all of it. So um, I don't think that's a good thing for a guy that you're hoping is going to be a major piece of this offense. Um, It's not an injury that keeps you out forever, but the timing of it is not great in the sense that you like to see him probably get a little more time with cousins and in, in that offense to kind of figure out what he's going to be. Yeah. And I think the big one is in that offense, right? New offense. They're installing this. It's different from the Kubiak schemes that he had spent his first three years in. And this is going to be a, something where in the spring, all they talked about was challenging him above the neck. You know, is he going to be able to line up in the right spots? Is he going to have a grasp of this playbook and all the different things they want him to do? And the best way to learn that is by doing it. And he finally got back onto the field full go after that knee injury. They, they really slow rolled him on the field this offseason and said, once he hits training camp, it's going to be full go. And then it's that first pad of practice, really one of the first reps he took in 11 on 11. He gets yanked out of there because of this thumb injury. And so the biggest thing to me is that, sure, he might be conditioned. He might even be able to catch passes by, by week one. But how comfortable is he going to be? And then how comfortable are the coaches going to be? 
with him in terms of how much they can open the playbook with him in that lineup, considering that he's not going to get any preseason reps with it. He's not going to get any, any more training camp reps with it. Um, Mike, it looks to me like it's going to be Johnny Munts as tight end one for the Vikings, uh, certainly through August. And then we'll see about September. Yeah. And I think you guys outlined, you know, a series of small things that when you add it up, um, at least makes this uh, a concern, like a medium level concern, right? I, I think all those were good points. He's, if this was someone who was coming off, you know, a bunch of healthy seasons in a row and had played, you know, all of last year, maybe missing a month or whatever this is going to be, wouldn't be as big of a concern. Um, but, you know, again, he's, he was out of action for so much and now he's right again out of action. And then again, the, the process of learning a new system an entirely different offense adds to that. And I think Ben's point was a good one too. Like when you're a tight end and you have a thumb injury, I think there's a dual concern of what happens when you block. And also like the thumb is a pretty important uh, digit for catching a ball. And, you know, presumably when he comes back, he'll be fully healthy, but he's just, he's going to miss enough reps and enough time in this that, you know, I, I think at the very least you just, you could expect some, rust or some you know not being fully up to speed or where they want him for week one which is a pretty important game and let's not forget to it's there's no guarantee he'll be back for that game and if he's not um again johnny munt or somebody else who does not have anywhere near the level of you know skill expertise whatever you want to call it as irv smith uh will be will be called upon to play a much bigger role i don't know if that means they'll make another panic trade with a fourth round pick. I don't know if that's this regime style or not, but uh, that's uh, uh, it would leave them thin at the position, which again, you know, a lot of little things and not the end of the world kind of injury. But when you consider when it happened, what, you know, what the injury is and kind of where Irv Smith is in his career. Yeah. I'd be concerned about this. If I was the Vikings. The thumb is important. And it's probably in fact, the reason why you don't have cheetahs playing professional football. It is. What if they could think about that? Like, I mean, but, the thumb and the uh, ability to learn an NFL playbook, we probably have big enough brains to do that. But the yeah, the opposable thumb is uh, a key to human's job security playing professional football. Would a cheetah learn the route tree faster than Cordero Patterson? Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. There is Tyree uh, Kill. There is Tyree Kill. run it faster. It's true. Although, Ty- yeah. Tyree Kill, known as the cheetah. He, there's, so there's at least one. Um, all right. Well, Irv Smith, it's a real bummer for him because he's entering a contract year as well. And the Vikings have to figure out long-term, what are they doing at that position? Johnny Munt is the only tight end signed beyond this year on the Vikings roster right now. Um, and so that's going to be something where when they go into this, and the only guy I should say with starting experience or any kind of experience signed beyond this year. So with Irv entering this contract year, this is going to be a big year for him and proving that he can not only be the guy that the Vikings are looking for, but really that any NFL team is looking for to be that kind of mismatch player that they drafted in the second round uh, three years ago out of Alabama. And it's, it's a setback for him personally. It's a setback for what this offense wants to do in terms of really creating those mis- mismatches down the field um, in ways that we know when healthy, he's capable of doing it. There's just very little evidence when you look at his, just, just look at his stats very little evidence because of how little he's been healthy and on the field that he's able to do that at the NFL level. So he's got a lot to prove once he is healthy. Um, we have no indication yet at this point that the finger injuries or nicks or whatever to Dalvin Cook or Alexander Madison were anything 
serious, but we'll be able to see today, later this afternoon, if they're on the practice field or not. Dalvin Cook ended up taking one rep in the team drills after his injury and then ended up sitting out the rest of practice. And Ben, that seems to be the MO for this staff. They're not going to push much of anything with anybody if there's a nick or an injury of any kind. They had one padded practice on Monday. The next day you're seeing Harrison Smith held out, Patrick Peterson held out, just vet days, uh, Jesse Davis, the presumed right guard held out. Um, it's going to be a real touch and go, it would seem, throughout this entire camp. Yeah, that's, it seems that way. I mean, I don't think there's going to be a lot of interest in pushing things beyond the level of um, reasonableness in terms of if you're putting somebody at risk of getting hurt. And a guy like Dalvin Cook, what are you standing to gain by putting him on the field if he um, bruised his finger, you know, whatever it is, and he had to get it taped up from what we saw in practice yesterday? Um, Alexander Madison, same thing. I, I, yeah, I would expect the the nicks, the the bruises, the maybe even the tweaks would uh, be treated with quite a bit of caution. Um, don't know that they will be treated as much like state secrets. Uh, at least in terms of not even acknowledging the body part of the injury and putting players in injured reserve to avoid acknowledging the body part. But uh, so far, they are treating a lot of these things with quite a bit of care, just saying it doesn't matter that much and we don't need you to be out there. Now that probably should lead us to ask, are we then overreacting to the Irv Smith thing? I don't know that we are. I, I think... Delvin Cook's a little different story. Delvin Cook has a little more equity built up than a guy like Irv Smith does. So, you know, that's probably why it's a little bit less of a concern, especially since he was able to come back. We didn't see a, a cast or, or anything like that on his, his finger or anything that would lead you to think it was it probably would be a cast that fast, but a splint or something that would lead you to think it was a bigger problem. But uh, we'll get an update on him today. But yeah, I would tend to think, you play cautious with him, Madison, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, anybody that you think is going to be a big part of what you're going to do. And Kenny Wangwu also held out early after suffering what Kevin O'Connell would call a lower lower leg soft tissue injury. Yeah, so probably a calf. <laughs> unless he's got some other soft tissues down there. Yeah, I was going to say, unless he's got some other kind of uh, muscle that no one else knows about in his lower leg, it would presumably be a calf injury. Um, he's been walking around, though. We've seen him out there. They're just holding him out, too, with how important he is uh, specifically to that kickoff return unit, but then also maybe to this offense at some point, too. Um, all right, let's get to some more observations and, and storylines from early on in training camp. We have a lot of questions that we'll get to. Uh, listener questions that were sent in on Twitter. So a lot of different topics coming there. Uh, ben, you got to catch up with, I believe, Sean Mannion and Kellen Mond yesterday. Is that right? Uh, I talked with Sean Mannion about Kellen Mond. Uh, still, so when we talked to Kellen, it was autograph day yesterday. So we're still, still waiting on that one. But yeah, got a chance to talk with him a little bit about uh, Kellen's progress and just the, the general process of, of trying to learn this offense, which you know, it, it is similar schematically to what they've run in the past, but Mannion said it, it's more work than you think. It, it's the process of it's all the new terminology. And, and we hear about this all the time in the NFL in terms of, well, it's basically the same scheme. Why is it different? Well, because coaches call things 
different things. It, it may be the same play and maybe the same route, but the language is different because things morph when they go from one coach to another. Coaches change things so the teams don't pick up on what a check means or what a call at the line of scrimmage means. Um, it, there's enough migration from coaches and players that if you kept everything the same, people would know your playbook pretty quickly. This stuff doesn't stay a secret forever. So that's a lot of why this stuff changes. It's a lot of why it makes it a process to learn a new offense and, and probably why you've seen, I think, the offense start a little slow in spots. I, I don't think the offense has looked great to this point, and that probably includes all three quarterbacks to some extent or another. But, yeah, I mean, I think – from what I've heard, they are optimistic about the way Mon has approached it. Um, worked out with Adam Thielen quite a bit this offseason. Sounds like had a, a good offseason working out with him and, and impressed a lot of the people he was working out with there, including Adam Thielen, who I'm supposed to talk to a little bit more today about all of this. But, yeah, it, it's going to be really interesting, I think, with him. He was taking number two reps ahead of Sean Mannion a lot of the practice yesterday and has been throughout this week. So if he can – have a decent preseason that is I think a big development for them certainly this year in terms of having another guy of cousin Cisco down that you could lean on and, and hope for something a little better than what you got from Sean Mannion in that playoff game last year and also I think is important for the future if you have a guy that you feel like is developing that's in his early 20s that changes a lot of how you feel about that position going forward and, and we are a long long way from him showing that he has earned the right to be trusted with that in the future, but he's certainly going to get his opportunity, I think, to do it and um, hope, you know, for his sake, try to show that the work he's put in will get him somewhere. And I, I, the other point on him is just, it's a, you know, it, we say this with cousins too, but I just think it's, it's a different situation because when he was drafted last year, Mike Zimmer was not a fan of that pick. He wanted, I think something that could help them win now. It was the first of their four third round picks. And I don't think he loved that part of it. The fact that Mon was the one that got COVID and triggered this uh, almost a year ago, I suppose a year ago this weekend, this run of quarterbacks not being able to practice that didn't sit well. And then, you know, at the end of the season, Zimmer basically said, I don't want to play him because I see him every day. And that would suggest that I don't like what he's doing on the field. So it, it was a situation I think where he was not going to get very far as a rookie. It may not have mattered how much he did in terms of looking good. Uh, it didn't seem like a situation that he got off on a, a great foot. And I think there were coaches, players telling him, Hey, um, in so many words, just wait this out. It's going to be, it's going to be all right. So um, you can figure out what that probably means, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see, if this situation is better for him than the one he was in a rookie, when it was in as a rookie. That unfortunate situation where Kellen Mond tested positive last training camp and uh, the other non-vaccinated quarterback, unvaccinated quarterbacks in Kirk Cousins and Nate Stanley were deemed close contacts and had to be isolated because of the old NFL COVID rules, left Jake Browning as the only quarterback available for an entire night scrimmage in front of the fans at TCO Stadium which led to one of my favorite quotes of the Mike Zimmer era, which he came out and said, Jake's smart. He's vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> he was all, it was like an old school uh, pickup football game where someone was all time quarterback. Yeah. It, was, yeah, it was beautiful. I think that was he, Jake Browning led a late drive 
for a touchdown in a two minute drill. And then Jake Browning was unable to answer Jake Browning's <laughs> touchdown. So <laughs> the first thing that Jake Browning quarterback in the two minute drill won because Jake Browning couldn't replicate against uh, whatever defense he was facing the second time he did it. You guys have been out there obviously quite a bit. Have they put up the plexiglass yet or is that still being installed later? <laughs> in the end zone. <laughs> no, the, the, the cut for, for cousins in the meeting room. Wasn't that his thing last year where he was thinking about putting up the plexiglass to, uh, to oh, keep COVID right. out in, in yeah. the meeting room. That's right. But he had also said we would meet outside by the goalpost in January. That's that. right. Um, um yeah. no, no, they have not. But to Ben's point about Mond, I think the offense, he has looked slow a little bit so far in these early practices of camp. You're not seeing him get rid of the ball. You're seeing him kind of pat it and then tuck down and run often. Um, which, you know, in a red jersey is not necessarily what you're looking for. So I, I think we got to give it time. It's got a, he's got a whole month here to show coaches through these preseason games, through these practices, especially those joint practices with the Niners. I think those will be huge to show that he can be that guy over Sean Mannion. And if he's not, maybe they end up keeping Mike, maybe they end up keeping all three of them again, like they did last year. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, he's he gets a fresh set of eyes here and gets a, a coach who used to be a quarterback, a head coach. So in, in some ways, it's a better situation. He's still year two and, you know, living off of potential and the fact that he just hasn't played much in any kind of game setting. So people, you know, can say, well, he could become this. And you know, it's, it kind of struck me not to circle back too far on the Irv Smith stuff, but Irv Smith has 66 career catches. We are treating a guy with 66 career catches with a whole lot of importance right now. He is still even in year four, very much living off of the idea of potential more than reality, but Mond certainly is in that space. And, you know, on the flip side of it, um, you know, the, the fresh set of eyes also means uh, nobody who's in charge right now has any investment really in him other than he's a third, a third round pick from 2021 that they inherited if they don't think he's going anywhere, they could just as soon cut him and say, you know what, this isn't working out. I don't know if they do that right away. I mean, you've already, there's a certain sunk cost element to it. There you're just like, well, there's no benefit in getting rid of him. So why do that? But just, just the, just the idea of, you know, unlike Rick Spielman, be still being in charge. If, if that was the case who drafted him, there is nobody here who would say, yeah, we got to stick this out. We really liked him. Uh, we, we made an investment in him. Like these guys, could just as soon draft a quarterback next year. And that's the end of uh, the Kellen Mond story in Minnesota. The only thing I would say to that is there in, in terms of when they would move on, if they decided to do it, the only benefit to keeping him at this point is that because he was a third round pick, there may be somebody else that says, well, we liked him. And obviously they saw enough in him. The Vikings did to draft him in the third round. So the fact that he was a third round pick, the fact that somebody else may value him probably means you don't cut him at this point because he's still somewhat valuable to trade ship. Now, after the season, maybe it's a different story. But yeah, I, I think at least in the short term, the fact that he was drafted where he was means he probably has enough trade value yet, even when you haven't seen him do much to say, let's keep him around and, and uh, maybe we get something out of him that way, if nothing else. Some people liked him more than Justin Fields, I've read. Yeah, yeah, there, were, there was that thought uh, among people in the Vikings building. So, um, and some of those people, I think, are still in the organization. So, the scouting department hasn't changed much 
So then, yeah, there is still some uh, momentum, I think, for him. Yeah, that's a good point, Ben. That it, with with a lot of the talent evaluators, not necessarily at the top of the front office, but scattered throughout, still the same. Kellen Mond's still got a lot of support in this building, even if the coaching staff has changed. So, and they're going to give him time to develop, certainly in this offense, and learn it, uh, and try to show that he can take those next steps as a passer, because his ceiling as an athlete is certainly a lot higher. And what Sean Mannion has, the 30-year-old Sean Mannion is or what he's shown in the NFL. Um, one guy who the Vikings think has a really high ceiling this year and who could always, he's going to be important to their success in 2022 because kickers always are. But Greg Joseph is the only kicker on this Vikings roster and the competition is over. Even though Matt Daniels, his new special teams coordinator, said this spring that we're going to have an open competition at all of our spots they ended up cutting the undrafted rookie that was competing with Greg Joseph at the end of the spring program. And then within two or three days of training camp, Greg Joseph has made, I think Matt Daniels said 33 of his 35 kicks. And he says, I'll say it right now. He's going to have his best year of his career. Now, Greg has only had one full season as a team's kicker. That was last year. So Matt Daniels is just saying that Greg is going to top that. This year, Greg did come in clutch for them quite a bit last year outside of the state of Arizona. And I do think that uh, he deserved that chance to get a run at kind of keeping this job and seeing if he can be their long term option. Greg Joseph is had some bad memories in Arizona, too. Who did Derek Jeter lost for World Series there? (laughs) It was Ferris. We did have another level. We did. We did hear the very. uh, I don't know what the word is for Matt Daniels, very intense Matt Daniels, the, the special teams coach we're talking about, uh, invoke Derek Jeter, LeBron James, and Kobe Bryant as that even-keeled mentality that he's seeing Greg Joseph embody. He says he loves that about Greg Joseph. Those are some high marks to reach if you are Greg Joseph. Uh, Mike, I think I saw you write for the Star Tribune. What could go wrong? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of tongue in cheek just because of the organizational <laughs> history. But, you know, I was, you know, at least partially serious about it. Like, you know, Matt Daniels obviously has no, does not bear the scars of Gary Anderson or, you know, Blair Walsh or any of the 18,000 other kickers and snappers and punters. It seems like they've employed in the last six or seven years. But around here, uh, Matt, we don't talk about the kicker. We just kind of close our eyes and, and hope if you're a Vikings fan that the kicks get made. So do, do you hear him talk about that in such a confident manner? Did catch me a little bit by surprise. Not that he shouldn't be confident in Greg Joseph. Not that Greg Joseph had a bad year last year. He had a, you know, on par, probably a, maybe a little bit above average year. He certainly has a big leg. He made seven field goals of 50 yards or more. He saved them in tandem with Kirk Cousins, who certainly liked that against Detroit. But, um, you know, overall, I would, you know, I would, just the tone of it was like so, so sure that he was going to have a great season, you know, based on what he's seen so far in camp. And it's just like kickers are weird, man. They just they go through stretches and what's going right right now could turn. You don't want it to if you're a Vikings fan. You don't want it to if you're the Vikings. But Greg Joseph misses a kick that can lead to three missed kicks. And all of a sudden you're talking about a kicker in a slump. So just saying, um Let's let's see it before we uh, before we get too uh, too too high on it. The way you said we don't talk about the kicker uh, resonated with me as a probably also another dad whose uh, house has been taken over by the Encanto soundtrack. In the last 
We don't talk about kickers or Bruno. Yes, neither of those things. Are, we, we do talk about LeBron, though, because yes. both the quarterback and the kicker have been compared to LeBron in comments in the last week. We're going to have to come up with a great nickname for Greg Joseph this year based on all those comparisons. We'll think, think that one through a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think Matt Daniels will end up giving us 14 nicknames for him if he ends up making a game-winning yeah. kick. Maybe I'll start calling him, like the, call him the foot captain. <laughs> Um, all right. Uh, well, we got a lot of questions to get to as well. We might as well spend the last 20 minutes of this podcast doing that. What Mamba? Do we like that? The what? Foot Mamba. The what? I can go with the that. Foot, the Foot Mamba? The Foot Mamba. I like that. The Leg Mamba? Yeah. Well, leg we Mamba? Work on this. Let us we'll know what on. you, which one of these you like best. We'll workshop it. We'll be okay. Yeah. Um, all right. We got a question from Joel wants to know. It feels like the offense, he says, is clicking already. Our, our observations are a little different so far through camp, but he says so far, the only major issue has been Bradbury getting pushed around. Do you see a change coming at center or is he our best option right now? Um, He's probably referring to the couple of one-on-one reps against Harrison Phillips. that got a lot of notoriety on Twitter because it got mentioned that Harrison Phillips kind of dislodged Bradbury from the ground a couple of times. Was there, Uh, was there video? Are we giving away secrets? And I don't think there was video. No, okay. I don't think so. Okay. Okay. Um, video of Garrett Bradbury getting uh, rolled by a nose tackle. Uh, there no, is video of that. that. There is video of that. Now, maybe not this specific video, but there is video of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For, for Garrett, it was, it was a rough start to those one-on-ones. Again, they've only had one padded practice on Monday. They took the pads off yesterday and had uh, a dialed back practice. So there wasn't as those intense kind of D-line, O-line drills that had happened on Monday, but kind of got off, like I said, to a rough start for Garrett. And Garrett entered this year, a contract year for him, really with no competition at center, saying that he was uh, planning on gaining weight, trying to get back above 300 pounds, trying to form a more sturdy anchor in front of Kirk Cousins in a way that we have yet to see, at least in that one padded practice. Um, It's concerning because it's the continuation of a trend that we've seen from him over and over again in his NFL career. The one that got him benched for Mason Cole last year and one that the Vikings coaching staff has to be well aware of. Um, Ben, what is their contingency plan as far as you can tell if it's not Garrett Bradbury at center? Well, I, I would toss two names in there. I mean, Chris Reed, we've seen a little bit at center in OTAs. I think he would be a possibility. My gut at this point says he is probably a better candidate to make this team as a swing lineman uh, than maybe as the starter. I mean, Jesse Davis has gotten just about all of the, the first team reps at right guard. Jesse Davis is also worth keeping in mind, probably not as a center, but it's, I heard this yesterday. There's enough buzz about Ed Ingram that if Ingram eventually takes over that right guard spot, then maybe you keep Davis and Reed as two reliable backups that can play a lot of different places, replacing the, uh, the access Vikings favorite off mentioned on this podcast, Joe Berger playing that type of a role. Um, It could go that way. So if that's the case, Maybe Chris Reed ends up as your other option at center, but I I think Bradbury's going to get every chance to show that he can do it. I, I think that's probably fine, given you kind of know what those other guys are. You know, they can step in in a pinch. They've both done that. Chris Reed did it last year when Quentin Nelson got hurt with the Colts. 
So I, I think that's probably where you'd have to go. I, I just don't know. I mean, Austin Schlotman, I suppose, would be the other name to keep in mind if they look at him there. But I, I certainly think Bradbury is going to get every chance to show that he can can be better. So, I mean, they have some other guys that you could try. It's not like they are completely bereft of options, but I think you try to give Bradbury every chance he can get to show he can do the job. And, and uh, preseason is going to be big. Those joint practices of the 49ers are going to be big. I think these opportunities he has coming up are, are going to be really important because he's coming down to it here. I mean, you, you're a first-round pick that they did not pick up your fifth-year option, which means you're in a contract year just like Irv Smith is, just like Alexander Madison is. Uh, you know, that, that 2019 draft class, as, as I'm looking at it, you have a lot of guys in the bubble. I mean, it's Bradbury, Smith, Madison, Armand Watts, uh, Ole Udo, Chris Boyd, BC Johnson are all still here, which is is pretty good. But you haven't had any of those guys distinguish themselves to the point where the Vikings are saying we have to get this guy locked down to a, a long term deal. So you have a lot of guys in that 2019 class that have a lot to prove, especially with the new coaching staff. And Bradbury is probably at the very top of the list. Yeah, Ben, your offensive line information jogs with what we saw from the second team offensive line yesterday in which they moved Chris Reed to center. They put Ed Ingram at right guard. Yeah. And then they had um, – would have been at left guard. I can't remember at this time. But Schlotman over there. It, yeah, it might have been Schlotman or Wyatt Davis. I can't remember. But point, point being in that Jesse Davis is basically getting all of the run with the ones. Chris Reed is not even so much getting – those reps anymore as much as working at center now. And he did that in the OTAs a little bit. Now they're doing it more in training camp. Uh, they would seem to be trying to get him as many reps. And he's also working actually before practice, after practice on snapping the ball. Uh, he's done this in preseason games before played center, but he's never done it in a regular season game. If that is your contingency plan, it is a gamble. It's a big gamble because this is, you're relying on somebody who's never done that position before. Uh, for full-time, certainly, or really at all in a regular season. I do wonder if they would look outside the building at some point, if there's a free agent or a cut candidate that, that gets let go or somebody they trade for. Um, I, I do wonder that if they start looking at, you know, league-wide at more of their options, if Bradbury keeps showing this offseason in this training camp, that he's not showing those market improvements that he's been trying to make. Uh, especially strength-wise, because that's just the big thing with him. He's just been getting tossed around too much, and waiting around the corner is Kenny Clark in week one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and this this is sort of the reason that you – I mean, if it works, I guess it's fine. But this this would give you, I think, an indicator of why you don't take a center in the first round, because first-round picks get more runway. They just do, because the contracts require that. and this is not applicable to Garrett Bradbury anymore, but when the GM that drafts you is still the GM, you have somebody that very much wants to be right about you and, the, and right about the pick they made. Scouts are still here that, that helped take Garrett Bradbury in the first round. So there's still probably a little bit of that momentum, but when it doesn't work, you can't just move on because the contract doesn't make it quite as easy to do it. I mean, you'd have some dead cap, which you, you don't want with a center that you consider to be, you know, probably a fungible player. And then you're in this spot of, okay, if we give him all of this time and it doesn't work, then are we putting a new center with Kirk Cousins week one when, like you say, Andrew, it's Kenny Clark lining up on the other side? I mean, that that's not great either. So if it works, 
you've got that position covered for the next 10 years and you have your, your anchor to your offensive line kind of in the mix, but positionally it's not a, a spot of terribly high value. I, I would be surprised if you'd see this regime take a center in that spot again. And, and this is a little bit of a, a window into it, why it's risky. I, I think when they took him, they thought this guy's ready to go now. He's the most, and you heard a lot of this talk before the draft that he was, ready that he was the most surefire option out there and in, in a draft that had a lot of good interior offensive linemen but it hasn't worked out that way in large part because he just hasn't been able to anchor against these big defensive big athletic defensive tackles that you see and he's got to, to figure that out awfully quickly or it's going to be probably a cautionary tale more than anything else yeah mike the offensive line is doing it's doing just fine it's doing just fine don't worry about it um, we're back. <laughs> I do think, I do think on a positive note for the O-line, I, I watched a little bit of the one-on-ones when I saw Bradbury against Harrison Phillips. And I thought Christian Darisaw, we're going to learn a lot about him, obviously with, with Zadarius Smith, Daniel Hunter being the guys that he's going up against. This is Neil Christian Hunter compared to him with Trent Williams the other day. Yeah. Which is incredible. And, and I, I think that's high praise for that, for that kid. And this is his first, obviously training camp because last year he watched the whole thing from the sideline. He was walking right. laps, trying to do conditioning, walking laps around the practice field. Cause he had that core muscle surgery uh, that he had to go back for last August. And so that is the big bright spot of the O-line right now is that it looks like Christian Darisaw not only was serviceable last year, but seems to be taking that big step forward this off season as well. Um, and then, yeah, we'll have to see if Ezra Cleveland does the same thing in the system. And obviously Brian O'Neill is the leader of that group. Um, we got a couple questions here about the corner situation. I'll go with the one from Chris who wants to know our impressions of Andrew Booth Jr. So far in camp and Andrew Booth Jr. Is obviously the second round pick out of Clemson. Somebody who had he been healthy at all throughout college might've been a first round pick. He's got that talent, has that fluid movement skills, has the ball skills, has the length, has a lot of what you're looking for at that position. And Ben, we've seen some of the attitude kind of show up from him too in camp so far. I think it was Monday's padded practice where he had to be separated from BC Johnson after a play. And I, frankly, I think you like to see that. Um, But what we heard from the front office and the coaching staff, both on and off the record is that they're going to need to, kind of pull him back and not be so grabby, not be so physical in the NFL. That's a learning curve that you hear about all corners, but especially with this guy, you're going to have to do that. And I think he's one the of the boxing gloves. That's right. With Xavier Rhodes back in like 2014, yep. I think it would have been. Um, I think Andrew Booth is one of the youngest, if not the youngest player on the roster for the Vikings. So ideally maybe Cameron Dantzler keeps that job and you can let Booth kind of come along and learn from the sidelines a little bit, but you take them in the second round that high in the second round, because you expect them to be the guy eventually. So certainly Ben, it seems like it's a matter of, you know, when not if he takes over that starting role. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, and uh, if you're Cameron Dantzler, you, you would have an easier time locking down that spot. If you just looked a little better than he has, hey, he's not had a great start to camp either. And I think, the fact that it, they took Andrew Booth where they did tells you that, well, I mean, you always need more corners as, as the previous regime was fond of reminding us. And they're not wrong about that because you, these guys get hurt. Somebody becomes ineffective. All of a sudden, Patrick Peterson 
is in his early 30s. So you're not locked down to that position, even if Cameron Dantzler turns into a starter. But I think Andrew Booth certainly has an opportunity to push for that spot if he looks good enough and if they can kind of channel all of the aggression in the right spots where he's physical without being grabby. Always a hard line for, for rookie corners to walk, especially when they feel like they're getting beat. The grabbing tends to start if they're in a bad position, a bad angle. If your feet aren't doing the right things, your hands tend to be what tries to help you catch up. So if they can get that figured out, I think he's going to have a decent chance to put himself in the lineup and uh, possibly put Cameron Dantzler in a spot where he's fighting for playing time again. Yeah, that's secondary. Mike, there's a lot of questions at, at corner. I mean, going into this, you got Patrick Peterson, who's a career man-to-man corner, being asked to play off more in this Ed Donatel defense. Uh, and then obviously these young guys and Shannon Sullivan at slot. So there's just a lot of questions at that position. Yeah, and when Ben um, said, when your feet aren't doing the right things, your hands try to help you catch up, that reminded me of my dancing style uh, first off. So that uh, let's get that out of the way first. But yeah, it, it does, you know, it, it does seem like it does seem like this is kind of the, you know, outside of the offensive line, this is kind of the, the perennial question, at least since they kind of had that, I don't know if we call them the glory days, but I mean, when they had Xavier Rhodes and Trey Waynes and kind of this kind of cast of depth behind them, their secondary was generally pretty good. I mean, you had Harrison Smith was kind of more in the prime of his career than in the, you know, the, the last, you know, few years of his career as he's in right now. And you had, you know, a lot of, you know, a, a lot of guys kind of mid career that you could kind of count on and they just don't have that anymore. And yeah, I think it's a, it's a big, Oh no, I think we lost Mike. I think XL Energy Center just got it. <laughs> <laughs> itself. He had he had told us that uh, they just showed up to install a new meter. So the power the power might have gone out at the Rand household. So that might be <laughs> what just happened. In, in the, uh, he, well, what was shaping up to be a great point. I mean, probably the key takeaway of the podcast, and now it's lost to history. So we'll just have to soldier on. That's all right. Um uh, let's let's move on to a question from uh, Jay Thomas. That's a good one uh, for both of us, Ben. Deep deep cut here. He says you have to make a bold prediction on a player that is more than more than outside the bubble to make the fifty three. Who is it, and why? More than like how big of a bubble are we defining here? I mean, like, well, what's the... let's just call it outside the bubble. Outside the bubble. Make the 53. Who's going to be a – all right, or just rephrase this. Who's going to be a surprise candidate to make this roster, do you think? Um, boy, so I'm trying to think through our, our bubble players here. I would say – man, i got to think about this. This is, this is a deep cut because you're, you're trying to sort of define what the bubble is. Um, I'm trying to think of those – those pass rushers. Um, I do think, I don't think it's going to be a surprise if he makes it, but I do think when you look at the, the edge rushers are a good place to start because there's yeah. a lot of opportunity there for guys to earn these, these backup roles. Cause beyond Hunter and Smith, there's not a whole lot there. They pay Zach McLeod, the undrafted free agent out of Miami, a lot of money guaranteed for his yeah. status. Yeah. To, to make sure that, you know, you've got at least some more talent there. They've had Patrick Jones, the last year's third-round pick, getting a lot of second-team reps. 
Uh, Janarius Robinson has also been in the mix there. I think those are the three guys, along with DJ Wanham, who you're looking at um, to to earn some of these roles and rotational reps. And I, I guess I would go with Zach McLeod, somebody who's played stack linebacker in college, played edge rusher um, as well. Really, when Miami kind of mixed around their defenses, he was a piece yeah. that just kept, kept moving. So I guess I would say him. Um, as, as somebody who could make the 53, I don't think he is going to have a role right away, but um, you, you don't pay him that kind of money unless you really like his talent and expect him to come in here and, and be a player for you, um, at least rotationally or on special teams. Yeah. I mean, they, they gave him enough money that you would think uh, he probably is, is in the mix. Uh, Luigi Villain would be the other, I think it was the other undrafted free agent. They give a bunch of money to, um, that, that would maybe be the other guy, another edge rusher to keep in mind there. Um, you know, they, they, they need help. They need more guys in those spots. And if you have athletic players there, they can always fit on special teams too. So I, I would keep those guys in mind. And I, I think some of the receivers you probably have, I don't know if you put Jalen Naylor when he was a draft pick, I don't know if you put him on the bubble. It probably depends on a late round pick like that. It probably depends on how you define bubble, but I think he is going to have a chance to make it as a return guy, especially if Kanae Nwangu is uh, out for any length of time. So um, yeah, I, I would maybe put him in that mix as well. Um, yeah. I, those would probably be the places to start. Mike is Mike has returned from the oh. clutches of XL energy. Yeah, sorry. It was uh, they did not know they were coming today, and uh, my wife just came downstairs and said, "Hey, they're here," and the power might go out for a little bit. And I was like, "That's bad because the power, of course, powers our internet." But uh, it was it was pretty temporary. It was only out for about a minute, and then the internet kicked back in. So I'm back, and it's uh, it's it's good to be back. Yeah, we were we were ready for it. We we were prepared. We uh, we pivoted through it, uh, just like the the experienced professionals we are. Yes. Like true radio pros, we were talking about surprise guys who could make the roster on the bubble. Ben transitioned to talking about some of the wide receivers. And I do think that that's a good segue to, I got a DM question about who could end up filling those four, five, six roles at wide receiver. The Rams continually keep six wide receivers on their 53. If the Vikings do the same in terms of running a similar pass heavy 11 personnel offense, they're going to need three more wide receivers after Jefferson Thiel and KJ Osborne. It's going to be um, so weird to, to see them throwing the ball. <laughs> yeah. just keeping receivers. I mean, they, they kept six some years, but just like that there could be six that have a role. I mean, it's just, it, it takes a little bit of recalibrating. I think special teams are going to play a big part of that too. I, I, I think from what I saw yesterday, the receivers, I talked to BC Johnson after practice and he had, put voice to how bad of a day that they had. And I was seeing Amir Smith-Marset getting a lot of constructive criticism and coaching mm -hmm. on the sidelines after some botched plays. There was one where Kirk Cousins even got involved where it was a screen to K.J. Osborne. The defense blows it up. Oh, yeah. I know and Kirk's, yeah, Kirk's yelling at him and saying, if we don't get this blocked, it's not going to work. Well, I believe Smith-Marset was one of the guys who was not blocking on the play. He's got so much talent, so much speed. Uh, Amir Smith-Marset, the fifth-round pick last year. But you're just not seeing it come together, at least at this point, where he can be reliable, trusted. And I think he's the reason why the Vikings might not be able to cut B.C. Johnson, a guy who 
for all that he might lack athletically, is the reliable guy who knows all the positions, is always in the right spot, doing the responsibilities that he's asked to do. Those things that coaches really, really value in terms of just being trustworthy at your job. So, Ben, it's going to be, and Mike, it's going to be a tough competition, I think, to see who fills those roles out because you also have Albert Wilson, Smith Marset, BC Johnson, Jalen Naylor, as Ben brought up. Um, and who ends up being the punt returner could be a, a big key in this, as well as who earns those kind of gunner or coverage duties on, on punt and kickoff teams as well. Saw an amazing highlight the other day. This is a total non sequitur, but uh, it was like an old Washington football game, and Joe Theismann was returning punts, even though he was the quarterback for returning punts. Yes, he returned oh, a punt. My. Yeah, so they just kind of times have changed. I don't think we're going to see Kirk Cousins returning punts this year, but that would be fun if he did. Can you imagine Kirk Cousins bringing back a punt? No. <laughs> Put Kellen Mon back there. Why not? Why not? Let's see. Can, yeah. let, let's just experiment. Yeah, I think you know, the wide receiver question is a good one. You're right, because, I mean, I think Ben had to talk me through it the other day on um, Daily Delivery, just talking about, you know, KJ, KJ Osborne being legit. I, just, I, I don't know why I can't wrap my head around him being this kind of bona fide third wide, wide receiver threat. Maybe I just didn't pay enough attention to everything he did last year, but I just feel like the depth there is so perilous if you're going to want to run a lot of three wide receiver sets if you're going to keep six like anything at all happens to Jefferson or Thielen and you're just talking about uh, a crew that you know again most teams would probably be in this spot anyway when you start with two really good ones but the drop-off there is pretty dramatic and you know how they're going to how they're going to use all these guys let alone how they're going to compensate if there are injuries or anything like that uh, is it's just one of those things where, you know, you assume certain things going right for a team. And sometimes you kind of forget that with progression, there's also regression. And that could be an area where it's not as good as you think if, if a little something little goes wrong. I have, I have liked what I've seen out of KJ and camp. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. I think had he's a, been had a, no, a really nice day on uh, Monday. Yeah. Caught a couple of touchdowns uh, in that one. That was couple days after on Saturday, I think he had like a 60 yard bomb that he had caught from Kirk over Cam Bynum. Um, he's really come through and, and last year, whether it was short yardage, deep balls, uh, he's just been a reliable guy. And it sounds like from listening to Wes Phillips, the offensive coordinator, the Vikings like him quite a bit as well. So he seems to have separated himself from the rest of the pack there for that. What I would assume to be the number three job, Ben, I haven't seen anybody even really mix in too much with the starting offense other than him. No, I haven't either. And I, I think <clears throat> he did enough last year that I, I would expect that that job is probably his to lose. Somebody would have to come up and be really, really good, I think, to take that away from him. And, and you'd love to have that happen. You'd love to have somebody else come up and, and assert themselves. But both because he's made plays and, and you see things like Smith Marset yesterday on that screen where Cousins is saying, yeah, it's not going to work if we don't block. Um yeah, I think there's still a little ways to go for anybody to unseat him from that number three spot. All right, let's end quick on this question about the Vikings' top pick. Um, Mark wants to know, we dropped 20 spots in round one to get Lewis seen. How has he looked? We haven't heard much from him at this point. Uh, Lewis seen is still really not running with the starters all too much. Cam Bynum's been holding down that job. But at what point does that become – questionable, I guess. At what point do you want to see Lewis seen, I guess, in the starting lineup? Because he is going to be the starter at some point. It's just a, definitely just a matter of when for him. 
but I thought Cam Bynum's looked somewhat decent in this. Yeah, I agree. He's made some plays. So is it what? Is it that San Francisco preseason game that you want to see Lewis seen in that in that starting lineup by to expect him to be the week one starter? Or what what do you think of that? Yeah, he probably need to do it by then, <clears throat> especially not knowing what the third one looks like in terms of how much you're gonna play starters. If he is going to be, I mean, again, the week one assignment for a rookie defensive back does not get any tougher. So if you are, and we saw this, we saw it two years ago. If you are not on top of things, you are going to get burned by Aaron Rodgers. Now, the difference with Aaron Rodgers this time is he may have his own receivers that aren't on top of things. But you have to think there's going to be moments in that game where if you're out of phase in your coverage or you blow an assignment that he's going to find it and you know an open throw shouldn't be that hard for one of his rookie guys to uh, Christian Watson or Romeo Dubs, I think is the, the kid's name that everybody's raving about over there. Um, it shouldn't be that hard for him to punish them with a few of those plays. So the, the assignment is not easy. And I think you'd want somebody working with Harrison Smith to be comfortable in that spot with a couple of weeks to go before that game. You guys saying Lewis has neither been seen nor heard from enough. Oh, Mike. Oh, Mike. He was, he was sending that one up for a while. <laughs> <laughs> just sitting over here grinning for a while. I'm like, I didn't hear a word Ben said. I've just been waiting to say that. No, I, yeah, I, I like uh, that might be where that was going. That was a, uh, no, I think that it, it just kind of does underscore like it, it feels like a lot of the roster is you know, a lot of holdovers, a lot of things set. But just when you think about the secondary and like who's going to be the other starting corner, how does that all come together? Who's going to be the starting? Safety, how does scene fair? I mean, your first round pick, you would imagine he's going to be there. Who's going to be the center? Who's going to be the, you know, it feels like right guard is maybe fairly set at this point, but there's still, still a lot of questions beyond just how this all fits together under a new coaching staff um, going into the season. And, you know, preseason being what it is now, only uh, what three games now instead of instead of four and not, I guess that becomes the second game becomes the all important second preseason game now where you play a few more of the the potential starters it's just i just it it's gonna be interesting to see how it looks in week one for sure and coming out of the gate with such an important game against such a good quarterback even though things get a little bit smoother with the quarterbacks after that i mean it's a a pretty tough way to start and if you aren't on top of things there and give that one away to a good team um it just kind of sets you up to chase for a while after that so it's something to bear watching as, as you go forward I don't know if, if Rogers doesn't have video of their training camp practices. I don't know how he's going to beat them. I don't know either. Maybe by practicing against this defense that the Vikings run. <laughs> Pretty similar. <laughs> On that note, we will bid you guys adieu. Please check out all of our work at StarTribune.com. And do it. My my wife tries to tell me sometimes and say less, so I'll say less.